tonsils out? Is that what it is? Or is it something that deals with the lower colon? <laughs> well, a is the lower colon, by the way, a punctuation mark? I just keep inventing these things. It just keeps coming on and on, you know, like a whole crowd of rotten bananas falling out of an ancient palm tree. But uh, while we're on the subject of rotten bananas, I must say that I have to make a, 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 a kind of a a recognition of a growing thing in our aesthetic world, Matt. Do you mind if I do that tonight? I know that uh, we don't want to offend any of our non-thinking listeners, but the, th- the, the thinking type. Have you noticed that the growing thing uh, on television, and let's face it, uh, television, uh, has replaced religion as the opiate of the masses? Uh, had, uh, <laughs> had Karl Marx been around and had written Das Kapital at this time, he would have made that point. Uh, television is the opiate of the masses. Well, it, uh, uh, who says that there's anything wrong with an opiate? Uh, would be the next question. But uh, nevertheless, uh, uh, we do have to recognize the existence of this monstrosity. I've dealt with it and been in it and worked in it and been part of it on many an occasion. So we know something about it. However, I will say that the, that the thing that is growing in television, uh, in addition to the car crash syndrome, have you noticed uh, it's almost impossible to watch any show today without seeing at least one major car crash in it? Uh, Banachek, I don't think they could make a show without a car crash, or at least a car going off a cliff, or uh, running under a truck, or uh, turning over end over end into the sea. 
Uh, <laughs> the, the car crash is important, but there's something else that's growing. Have you noticed the, uh, the, uh, the great growth of animal shows? That uh, I don't, I'm not talking of shows about animals. There's always a guy who's standing there holding up a dog food can, and uh, he's telling you that tonight they're going to take you to Lower Tasmania to hunt the man-eating moles that uh, live in Lower Tasmania, a rarely visited part of the world. The next thing you know, uh, they're creeping up on the man-eating moles. You've seen these shows, endless shows of that type, but there's one thing that's very important in these shows. Invariably, in the middle of the show, they must shoot some animal with a tranquilizer gun. It's very important. Uh, tranquilizer guns are bigger on television than machine guns used to be. And uh, you must always shoot a poor old animal with a tranquilizer gun. And then after you shoot him, you, you wrestle him to the ground and you attach a radio transmitter to his ear. Now, uh, this, uh, this is going to be quite a... Uh, quite, <laughs> quite a <laughs> if you don't attach a transmitter to his ear, you put a giant aluminum flag in his ear, one or the other, you see. And uh, if you don't do one of these, other, these things, it isn't a real animal show. Somehow you feel cheated. And uh, it's got to be done. Now, the, the, the next question arises, of course, is what this will eventually do to the animal population. Uh, after all, these shows endlessly uh, pursue each other, like, uh, like peanuts done a great peanut uh, hatchery someplace. They all look the same, and that uh, crowds of zebras are seen constantly running over the veldt. And uh, the next thing you know, the helicopter, the helicopter hovers over them and says, we have now spotted a large male, just the type we are looking for to, uh, to perform our tranquilizer gun operation on. Pap! The next thing you know, you see this guy topple over and he's laying there flat out. And they land the helicopter and they leap over and they always assure you that he's very dangerous. Uh, that, uh, that they have to be very careful now because uh, no telling what a man-eating mole will do if he's been shot in the behind with a tranquilizer gun and he comes to it too suddenly. And next thing you know, the whole show is over and they have to get a whole new series for next season. Well, <laughs> you know that. So, so I, I uh, would like to, tonight, take this opportunity to, to salute, if I may, all those animals all over the world who have been shot with tranquilizer guns for the edification of the American television viewing public and also the furthering of sales of dog food. Apparently, dog food is very big on these animal shows. Now, uh, I, I I know a little about tranquilizers. You do too, I'm sure, Matt and Jerry. You've read tranquilizers always in the news. Uh, what happens with tranquilizers? Well, it's quite obvious what happens. Anybody knows about barbiturates. They are highly and strongly habit forming. And I would like to suggest that in the next few years, there's going to be a race of lions and animals develop. That, that could have unforeseen circumstances. And I can see right now, here's, a, here's for example, a typical outtake of a television show in just a few years that uh, we can see obviously happening. Well, you must put yourself now in a position. You are in Central Africa. Uh, the film is grainy, and uh, it's jiggling a little bit because it is handheld. You know you are in the presence of a dangerous carnivorous beast. When we peer through the weeds overlooking the waterhole, and we hear... By George Marlin. Marlin, that's the same line we've had last week. He's an addict. He's addicted to tranquilizers. 
I suspect that they will become addicted after all. <laughs> you know, tranquilizer is a lot more fun than eating radishes or whatever lions eat when they're walking around out of the woods. That's good. Can I have that again, Matt? I knew you'd want to hear that again. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know. Oh, I, there must be a certain social uh, status, too, uh, being an animal. Uh, in a crowd of other animals that are otherwise undistinguished. Let's face it, uh, uh, one zebra... You know that many zebras uh, have even complained about this in the past, that uh, uh, one, you know, once you've seen one zebra, you've seen them all. And even to a zebra, that can be pretty boring. Uh, 250 zebras all walking around, and they all look exactly like you, the same coat and everything else, same dumb look on the face. And uh, what, uh, what, what distinguishes today one zebra from another? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's a nice little plastic molded Japanese transistor transmitter trapped around your neck, which is radiating a signal. And uh, <laughs> theoretically radiating a signal. And that brings up another point that to any of you guys out there that are interested in radio technique, can you imagine what's going to happen when, uh, when they get enough of these transmitters out all over the veldt and they're having trouble with QRM? Uh, that uh, that there's no possible way you can detect one zebra or alligator or griffin or whatever it is your trip because of all the fantastic uh, uh, <laughs> the confusion on the band, you know, on the animal band. As you tune your receiver across the animal band, it's nothing but 20 million signals, and they're interfering with each other, jockeying. And then, of course, what will happen, the TV shows will have to, uh, have to uh, demand the technical improvements. Uh, more power for the transmitter. After all, we're getting interfered with by the by the signals from the Bill Burrard show. So uh, the Marlon Perkins show has got to have a stronger transmitter. And uh, it, I hate to see these powered fights that are going to they're going to build up. They'll have to. I mean, some guy that's tracking a GNU uh, and he finds that the signal is weaker than the let's say the signals on the uh, the Hartha Beast, which are in the area, and he can't track his GNU any longer. Well, he's just going to have to call for a bigger transmitter on the back of the canoe. And the next thing you know, the poor son of a gun is going to be wind charger sticking out of the top of his head, solar batteries attached to his rump, and uh, who knows how far it's going to go, you know. <laughs> Possibly even they'll have a little tape recorder to place the recorded sound of a GNU uh, making the sound that all of us love from the GNU world. But uh, I, uh, I just, uh, being a, being a, let's say, a... a a peripatetic animal cuckoo. I am no more pro-animal nor con-animal than the, the average person. I, you know, I take animals as they come. Uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not hung on animals. Are you, Jerry? No, no. Yeah, yeah. Come see, comes right, man. You know. Well, I'm no, no, no. I, I don't want, I don't want to offend anybody out there who's, uh, who's got the the animal thing going. But uh, you know, if the shoe fits, it fits. I mean, if you have to, if you, if you're the kind of person who are so in love with animals that you wish you could nail your shoes on the bottom of your feet, like, uh, like, a lot of people have. You know, there's a thing you must understand. There's a thing called anthropomorphology, or the the the, the tendency of people to uh, to put human characteristics in non-human creatures. Oh, there's a lot of people think that their dog is just a, you know, he's just a. A human being that uh, somewhere along the line his genes got a little loused up and he just hasn't started to shave yet. Uh, oh yes, yes, there are those people. I've known people who who are even more so the cat cuckoos are the worst kind. Uh, uh, they have, they've constantly mistaken the low order of intelligence 
for uh, contemplation and meditation. Uh, this is a, this is a problem, which is <laughs> always now watch. That's one way to get letters. You can't get letters saying anything about the old sacred cows. Uh, you know, this we use the term cow. This is an important uh, note here. But the, the old sacred cows. I could say anything I want about the Vatican. I'd maybe get few a few little tearful notes. That's about all. I could say anything I want about the. Uh, any race, creed, religion that doesn't make any... The old sacred cows are gone. But say something about cats, and by God, your life will be off the air next week. That's true. So the point being here that the, the problem today is no longer anthropomorphology, which is uh, putting human characteristics in man. It is putting man characteristics in... The, it's the other way around. Animal characteristics in people. Many people think they're like a cat. I've known people like that. They say, oh, I'm... I'm uh, just like a no. Come on, no way you're like a cat. Uh, but the, this is a, a deep desire, and I've known horse people, for example, who become so hung on horses that uh, they begin to whinny at times, uh, you know, and, and get skittish and uh, <laughs> and uh, stand at long periods staring off into the woods. Now, no horse has been known to think as he stares off into the woods, Matt. You know, you had nothing about horses. Dumbest animal this side of the mole. Uh, true. Now, he can run like hell. Oh, yeah. Kick like a demon. But uh, that's all uh, pure nervous energy. But when it comes to actually sitting down and writing a fairly decent, the uh, human English sentence, not horse isn't in it. It's not, it just simply is. No way. You can't take it. So, so uh, I, I'm, I'm, again, this is not to be mistaken as an anti-horse remark. Not at all. The king of the beasts is a notorious coward. Uh, if you acted the way the average lion acts when he's being uh, a lion in the veldt, believe me, you would be driven from society as being a, 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 a weak-kneed, a spineless coward given to sneaking up on your friends in the dark and uh, occasionally roaring like hell about nothing more than you just want to let everybody know you're there. Now, that would, uh, this is an average line. Did you know that? Yeah. Speaking of the weakness, I mean, this is WOR, New York, friends. And I, George, the Big Apple, where uh, we got more uh, jungle animals here than you'll ever find in, uh, let's say, uh, <laughs> uh, upper Tasmania of all types, all stripes, all attitudes. But one thing about them is that they sneak good. Please. Catch a live trout at the International Sports Show. Talk to famous athletes. Learn fly casting from an expert. Bid on a deluxe travel trailer at our daily auction. See trained animals. Plan your 74 family vacation on wheels in the woods on the water at the International Sports Show. Visit every manufacturer of recreational vehicles in one hour. The largest display ever under one roof. The New York International Sports Camping Vacation and Travel Show. March 9th through the 17th at the New York Coliseum. It's bigger than all outdoors. You know, that always embarrasses me, that idea of catch a live trout. Can't you see this swimming pool with all these poor trouts swimming around in there and 27 million people? <laughs> Wait, yeah, I know. I know it's got a tag. Don't worry. I know all about tags, friends. Uh, the tag, yeah. Well, you can get special discount tickets uh, to WOR listeners by mailing in a card to Sports Show, care of WOR. Can you catch a live trout? And that'll serve you right. The biggest hit of the off-Broadway season is Moon Children, a play about being young in the 60s. Clive Barnes said, 
Moon Children is one of the best new American plays of the past few years. Superb, as funny as the Marx Brothers and yet unaffectedly profound. Walter Kerr, a stunning play. Richard Watts, a delightful play and an excellent production. For reservations, call 924-8782. That's 924-8782. Moon Children, at the Theater de Lis, 121 Christopher Street, in the village. Let's see, uh, what else do we have here? Leisure Expo. What are they doing? Exposing the sham of leisure time? Uh, is it live? It's a cart, huh? Let's all take a tasty break and have a... Oh, yeah, it's a sing. It says an ounce sing. Tasty cake is all the good things, all the good things wrapped up in one. Thank you, Mab. When you get down to the real fun of eating, you know, after you finish stuff like steak and caviar and, and the shrimp cocktails and stuff. Tasty Cake, when you get down to the front, really wraps it up for you in Tasty Cake Family Packs. If you can get yourself to uh, embarrass yourself, ask for Tasty Takes. <laughs> can you imagine W.C. Fields sitting down there with a bunch of Tasty Takes followed by bourbon? But nevertheless, Tasty Takes, crimpets and cupcakes are all there. So you get this great tasting, tasty cake inside, and it's all fun and wrapped up in one, friends. Let's have a lot of fun. A tasty cake, cake is all the good things, all the good things wrapped up in one. He's going to do it. There he goes. Oh, God. Probably reads Winnie the Pooh, too. Uh, you have that leisure thing now for me, Matt? Oh, oh, yeah, I see. The sport is Leisure Expo. I see. I see. I see. Oh, oh, I see. We won't do that again, catching live trout. You know, uh, while we're on the subject of that, can you imagine if the Lions had their own sports show? Catch alive people at our big... <laughs> you imagine yourself running around and all the Lions cheering? Well, uh, yeah, you can. Okay, uh, here, pay your $2, Lion. Here, pay your $2, Lion. There he goes. That's our program director over there. Go get him. Yeah, that's it. Well, I know he doesn't taste good, but uh, what the hell? It's sport, friends. And that's what sport's about. Reset that, Matthew, please. And uh, while we're on the subject of commercials, we got to do a few others. Uh, how about uh, the House of Chan? It's really a good Chinese restaurant, friends. And uh, you've been looking for one for a long time. And uh, here's one right here in the middle of New York, right in the middle of town, 52nd Street and 7th Avenue. It's a classic Chinese restaurant. They have all kinds. They have thousands, of, at least thousands of stuff on their menu. In fact, their menu comes, and it looks a little bit like the winter Sears Roebuck catalog. And it's all printed in totally unintelligible Chinese, but it makes a fantastic thing to look at for a while there. When you order your egg for young, then. But uh, nevertheless, uh, the House of Chen is a good restaurant. They have a nice bar, and uh, they serve those uh, inscrutable oriental martinis. There's something about them. I don't know what to say about that. But uh, I would suggest you go down and try them yourself if you want a really exciting experience. 52nd Street, 7th Avenue, right in the heart of New York's uh, Whoopi District. And uh, <laughs> anything you want is within maybe four or 500 yards of there. Do you agree, Matt? You know the neighborhood, right? It's an exciting place. And uh, they're open seven days a week. And if you're going to the theater or, you know, there's a great new Linda Lovelace flick opening uh, and you want to run in there and hurry up and you want to see it and you're afraid you're going to miss the opening exciting scenes, 
Well, you just tell them you're in a hurry, and all 22 chefs will make sure that they put your egg foo young on the table in a hurry. That's the House of Chan, 7th Avenue and 52nd Street. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. He was the President of the United States. But to one remarkable woman, he was more than that. He was her son. At the age of 83, Rose Kennedy has written her own story, the first book about the Kennedys by a Kennedy. It is called Times to Remember, and starting this Sunday, you can read this historic personal memoir in Newsday. In 12 installments, Rose Kennedy's deeply moving book unfolds in the pages of Newsday, a story of unmatched triumph and unbelievable tragedy. Times to Remember by Rose Kennedy. The story of all the Kennedys starts this Sunday and continues daily in Newsday, Long Island's own newspaper. Shopping for hers potato chips and snack foods is a family affair because hers has something for everyone. Potato chips, pretzels, corn chips. Everybody finds a favorite. Hers potato chips taste good because they're made the natural way. There's not a single preservative in them. This is the way you'll find them in your store. Country fresh. And hers are packaged to stay that way when you get them home. Hers. Good things from the country. If somebody asks you where you can get a great meal in Theater District Manhattan, Midtown Manhattan, don't you dare be stuck for an answer. Cheers Steakhouse may have subdued lighting. They may have a subdued service, very busy, but nobody yells or nervously pushes you around. But outside of that, nothing else about Cheers is subdued. The quality is stark, raging, raucous at Cheers, the deliciousness of the steak and the roast beef. They have a special feature called the Horn of Plenty. I don't have time to tell you everything on that board. It's like a big old legendary feast like you might have seen in a painting somewhere. Complete dinner with hospitality champagne, just $7.25. Cheers is minutes from all theaters, right around the corners from all transportation. And if you're driving, parking is free from 5 p.m. to 11.30 p.m. Dress casual. For reservations, call 244-8810. Cheers. 120 West 41st. Oh, yes, that was, that was very exciting. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I must say, though, that uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a sucker for those animal shows. Uh, there's no question about it, because a lot of those animal shows make uh, a lot more sense in a way than the people shows. Uh, <laughs> and it's true. I mean, I can't, I, I, I can't explain. Lee, now Lee Brown, who works for me, and works with me, a very, very interesting uh, type of thinker. Uh, Lee, the other day, came up with the Lee Brown proposition. Now, the Lee Brown proposition is this, really, basically. When you're watching a television show or a uh, film, and uh, you've, got to, you've got to be very careful about this because it can lead to rotting of the head and all kinds of things, but uh, if you're watching a television show or a film or a play, and uh, halfway through the second act or the first scene or the third quarter or the fourth ding-dong or whatever it is, it's, you know, after the commercial there, suddenly it occurs to you, now why the hell did he say that? Who in his right mind would do that? 
or it, it, the obvious occurs to you, well, why don't they call the police? Has this occurred to you many times? Well, now, you're lucky. If, you, if it doesn't occur to you, you're a true television viewer. Uh, you never question totally irrational behavior uh, because uh, you, you're probably conditioned to it. I don't know what your home life is like. Probably irrational behavior is part and parcel of your daily life. So you wouldn't question <laughs> irrational behavior. But many of us do, you know. So you see somebody walking around there, you know, and there's guys sneaking around outside of his house and... Uh, sneaky people in the bushes carrying blow guns and stuff. And oh, right there, you see right behind him is this telephone. And you say to yourself, well, why doesn't he call the cops? Well, uh, that's a question. Uh, and uh, It never occurs to a lot of people. It simply doesn't. Uh, it never occurs to... Uh, you watch the rookies, for example. And have you noticed... the? You've seen this, this uh, turkey? You've seen it from time to time? Well, have you noticed that it just seems to be there's only three guys in that police department and the lieutenant. That uh, and uh, so apparently a big building they go in there. There's all kinds of offices in that, but they seem to be in charge of dealing with all the crime. Uh, every crime that happens, they get these three guys, and they never call in and say send 452 other police. Uh, and in spite of the fact that they're that they're uh, surrounded by the bad guys and they're throwing hand grenades in at them, and and uh, one guy's fist fighting three gang leaders at once. And uh, the guy's wife is uh, dying of what appears to be advanced uh, cold sore disease uh, in the hospital, and he keeps calling in to find out how she is. No, at no point do they call for reinforcements. At no point does he get on the radio and say, uh, "Send Squadron B, send the Flying Squad, the Tactical Force, and the Riot Squad immediately. They're all over here." No way. He does not do this. Now, why doesn't he do it? That's where Lee Brown's proposition comes in. To the average TV viewer, he does not question this. He just accepts the fact that the rookies are standing between a total takeover of crime in that big city, wherever they are, and, uh, you know, civilization. These are the bulwark. Uh, why, why, for example, uh, does Marcus Welby never seem to have a waiting room filled with 400 people? Uh, angrily waiting their turn. You notice he doesn't seem to have one? Have you noticed that, Matt? Have you ever seen Marcus Welby? You have not seen that one. Well, you have not seen a waiting room in any doctor show, I propose. You know, angry people saying, I got that bill, and by God, I want to talk to you about it. No way. You're never going to see that on television. Now, in spite of the fact every time you go to the doctor, that's always what you hear. And you sit in the waiting room there, and there's thousands of people all sitting around looking glum and reading 1949 Time magazines. Uh, that is never going to be seen on television. There's a reason for it. Very good reason. Uh, another reason, for example, have you noticed that when, when there's a shooting that occurs on TV, uh, you know, a simple shooting right in the middle of a, a big city. You see a city like, uh, looks like Los Angeles. It's always Los Angeles, by the way, in all these things. And you see this, these guys are shooting it out. You know, pow, pow, pow. Seven guys are now falling down. You don't see a giant crowd gather. Middle of the afternoon, maybe a couple of people look. You, know, you don't see a giant crowd immediately gather, guys coming up in their cars and people yelling. And Why not? If it happened right here on 52nd Street in New York City, there would be a crowd, right, man? I mean, a biggie. <laughs> I mean, everybody there. Gabe Pressman would be there. Everybody would be there in 30 seconds. But it does not happen on television. Now, why is this? Remember, have you ever asked yourself, why is it so consistent? Have you noticed that, that Archie Bunker, for example, 
never seems to read newspapers. He, he uh, uh, his family uh, never seems to watch television, uh, really, uh, which would be the way Archie Bunker would be in life, wouldn't he? Night after night. Uh, but uh, if you notice that that. Uh, that, let's take Cannon. Have you noticed that in, in Cannon, the police department is always completely ineffectual? They have never caught anybody in Los Angeles in over 15, 20 years. And uh, clients are always forced to go to Cannon. He solves it, maybe 15, 20 minutes. No problem. A little nastiness in between times. But uh, <laughs> he, he does write pretty good. Now, why is this? Why is it? Why is it when Adam-12, these two guys are riding around in Adam-12, that their car is never dirty? Every squad car I've ever seen around here is, you know, all covered with crud and stuff. And, and uh, do you think it's because it's Los Angeles? You don't know Los Angeles, friend. Have you noticed their car never has a dent in it? You notice that? Did you also notice another thing about him? Uh, makes him very different from... Uh, from uh, every uh, police department I've ever seen, do you notice that their uniforms are never baggy or anything? Never. No, no way. No, no, no problem like that. And do you notice that uh, that Marty Milner is never angry at his uh, partner? You know, sit for three days and never talk. And you notice they never sack out. That's called cooping. You know what cooping is called? Well, have you ever noticed a, a dark squad car parked under a bridge overpass? You think they're... Oh, they're carefully watching for uh, sneaky guys that are going to, you know, sneak in and out of the gas line. No way. That's called cooping. Yeah, that would be a great episode, incidentally, where Marty Milner says, uh, hey, listen, he said, uh, how about it? And they drive back at a Sherwin-Williams paint sign, and the rest of the 15 minutes is them trying to get a 15-minute nap. You know, and the, and the thing, Adam 12, Adam 12, would you please answer your radio? And, uh, you know, they're both snoozing away there. But uh, the point, I'm not making any accusations here. I am raising, however, some questions about life here. This is the premise that we're basing this on. Most people, I suspect, watching television, believe these things that are going on on television conceivably do happen, but in other places. They think, you know, that must be the way L.A. is. Uh, it's only here in Plainfield that, uh, that Cannon doesn't come. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's only, that's right, really true. I'm not, just, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a, uh, you know, I'm not trying to be a, be a cynic. I'm just raising a legitimate question. Why is it that these things, which are so easily solved in all these various shows, are not so easily solved in life? That's a very good question. Why is it invariably Suzanne Plachette recovers from the evil disease which has struck her down in the prime of her life uh, in, in the newest episode of uh, Medic or Dr. Welby or Marcus Ding Dong or whoever the, the you know police surgeon or whatever the hell the doctor is that uh, and uh, why why is this why is this and why 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 for example uh, you take Owen Marshall now you've seen Owen Marshall have you, have you seen this I'm sorry, you have? That's why you have that somewhat uh, somber look at times, Matt. You, you watch this stuff too much, and you'll get that. Yeah, that's right. Now, Owen Marshall now is an example of Owen Marshall. That uh, you, you, you often wonder why a guy doesn't jump up right in the middle of the trial and say, I demand a mistrial. And the judge says, yes, that's true. 
Owen Marshall, uh, that was a totally uncalled for situation. We're going to have to take a two-week recess now and consider the possibility of a mistrial. Sorry, Owen. It never happened, but it happens every time you go down to court. There's always doing this. Why does it not happen on television? Well, that's where Lee Brown's proposition comes into play. And any time you are confronted with one of these inexplicable questions, why doesn't Lee Remick call the police? You trot out Lee Brown's proposition, and it will answer all of it for you. And and don't be misled by its seeming innocent simplicity. Great concepts always seem simple. For example, if I came up to you and said, "Hey, here's an equation: E is equal to mc squared." So I, even I could do that one. <laughs> well. <laughs> well, let's see. You try uh, a seven-letter word for syzygy. Uh, don't uh, don't don't be misled by simplicity. A sum is, you know, uh, is, uh, the Pythagorean theories, Pythagorean theories, the theory of Pythagoras. These are all seemingly simple. Why well, anybody knows what the hypotenuse is? <laughs> Look at it there. Is it that simple? Mm. Not at all. It takes a mind that can cut through all the external verbiage, that can cut through all the theories and the confused mists of dream and idea, and get right down to the kernel of it and say, this is it. And the kernel always seems to be simple. It's getting to it that's difficult. Once a proposition has been laid out, we all can see it. Do you agree with that? Once... Uh, yeah, once they put up a uh, a satellite, within two years, the merest eight-year-old school kid can tell you how a satellite works. But he couldn't have done it, say, in 1928, the merest kid. No way. It's the simplicity of the final finding as opposed to the complexity of arriving at that point. This is a complicated way of saying it is a hell of a lot harder than it looks. Now, let's go back to the television problem. You have... Uh, I, it, it occurs to me often. I'll sit there and... And that's where it loses me. Have you wondered why you get bored in the middle of a television show sometimes? No, wait a minute. Many times, right? And, and it's never occurred to you, why am I bored? I'm watching human beings in the moment of their trial and tribulation. Uh... Now, here's an example now. You watch the rookies week after week. We'll just take this for an example. Now, these guys never seem to learn from the past. Invariably, they are taken in by somebody who sends a note that says, I'm about to be kidnapped, come to the corner of 4th and Vine. And they come down there, and the next thing you know, one of them gets hit on the back of the head, and he's being held hostage. Now, that happened to him three times. You say, well, why the hell doesn't he say, look, I went for that last Wednesday. Come on now, you're the hell with you. And by the way, uh, Lieutenant, uh, you're, I want to I want to be put on uh, I want to be put on a desk job for a while. I had enough of this running around on the on the decks of old tramp steamers and getting shot at and all that stuff. Fooey, no way. They do not learn. Nobody learns from the past in television. That's another important thing you must remember. The past does not exist to a television show. No way. 
And there's never, very rarely is there any cross-pollination. Uh, you'll never find, uh, uh, for example, somebody is, is, is in terrible straits on a television show. And uh, no one suggests, look, uh, uh, Doc Elliott, uh, you seem to be having trouble uh, uh, curing uh, Maw Bridges. Uh, do you mind if we call in for another, uh, another opinion? Uh, I know about this doctor. His name is Welby. Uh, do you mind if we call Doc Welby in? Nobody kind of. Can you imagine the great clash of conflict if Marcus Welby diagnoses it once as one thing and Doc Elliott diagnoses it as another? And yeah, yeah, Hermione Gingold dies right there in front of him. But uh, these will never happen. This stuff will never happen. Now, why? Lee Brown's proposition. Write it down. Think about it. Do not consider it as uh, as basic and simple and silly as it sounds. You may, in the middle of a second reel of a film, find your mind wandering. Why is it wandering? The people have done things which nobody in their right mind would ever do, and your head slowly goes to sleep as you watch them do it. Uh, somebody will give a long, involved speech that nobody would ever give in his right mind. And you suddenly find yourself nodding off. Suddenly, somebody will start giving a great moralization on the TV show, and you start nodding off. Okay, Lee Brown's proposition. Matt, I want you to try it tomorrow night when you watch something and you say to yourself, now why the hell is he doing that? Now why is he getting out of the car knowing full well there are seven bank robbers hidden right there in the parking lot? Why is he getting out of the damn car? Why doesn't he put it in reverse, drive the hell out of there, and call the cops? All right, the minute that comes... Trot out Lee Brown's proposition because it is a TV show. That is the rule. Or because it is a movie. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Is it? Because it is a TV show. That's why they don't call the cops. Or why the cops suddenly appear. When you know they would never appear. How many times have you wished there was a cop around? All right. Never showed, right? But they would on television. Because it is a TV show. That's in italics. That's why John Boy is so sensitive. And all the other people aren't. Because it is a television show. Right? Now, wait a minute. What does this mean? Because it is a... See, I'm, I'm, I'm acting the role here of a teacher. What does this mean, class? Because it is a television show. Does that seem to be to you obvious? Oh, it does? You say also that E... Everybody knows equals MC squared. Do they? Hmm. Well, this will appear on the Blue Book exam. In spite of the fact you do not understand the rule, we will ask you about it. You'll be asked to quote it. <laughs> now, that's a, that's, a, that's a difficult concept, yeah. Because, in other words, television shows, I'll, word of explanation, television shows, TV shows, plays, movies, have no real relationship to life. 
And since they do not have any relationship to life, then don't compare it to life. Instead, just look at it for what it is, that's all. He didn't call the cops. Any normal human being would call the cops in that situation. Well, he didn't call the cops because it is a television show. Have you noticed everybody believes in ghosts on TV? And the guy that doesn't believe in the ghost is sort of the spoil sport. How many ghost shows have you seen on television where the one guy that doesn't believe in TV, believe in ghosts, is invariably wrong? You notice that? Or don't you recall that little nicety? <laughs> that, that every ghost, or, or they call it horror or, or uh, occult, they don't call it ghost shows. But every occult show, the one person who does not believe in whatever the hell it is, devils, imps, ghosts, it's been haunted for years, ever since Miss Agatha was run over by that Honda, uh, whatever it happens to be, <laughs> the one person who does not believe in it is the heavy. He said, oh, come on, who believes in ghosts? Well, you know doggone well he's wrong. Because we know there are ghosts, don't we? If you watch television, you'd have to believe it. Now, the question is, why is it on television people all do believe in ghosts and invariably quickly accept the fact of a ghost? Because it's a television show. In your own life, if it turns out that you went, uh, let's say for argument's sake, uh, you went upstairs and all of a sudden the great big blue thing with hair all over it came out of your closet and drifted towards you, screaming, I am the ghost of Miss Agatha! I am the ghost of Miss Agatha! Ah! What the hell would you do? Would you go down and talk about it for 20 minutes down in the, uh, the study with your friends, which is what they would do on television? Or, or would you do the obvious? Run screaming from the house and keep running for four miles until you finally ran out of gas and then ran into the nearest police station says so a green thing with thing hang, stuff hanging all over it and it came screaming out hollering I miss Agatha out of my well would you do this yes on television no but uh, these are, these are things uh, that have to be accepted I mean if you've seen The Exorcist you don't want to be the one sore head in the crowd that's oh come on what a bunch of garbage what is this you're the heavy. <laughs> You're the heavy. <laughs> and who wants to be a heavy? Uh, so remember Lee Brown's proposition when confronted with boredom in the middle of uh, every television show you ever see. It's there because it is a television show, or it is a play. Uh, this uh, would solve a lot of problems, by the way, in uh, criticism uh, of all kinds. Uh, it, this, this, uh, Lee Brown's proposition will also fit into many, many other categories. So if you're listening, say, to, uh, to the president speak, or a senator speak, and you say, what the hell did he say that for? Lee Brown's proposition, because it is a speech. Nothing to do with life or reality, it's a speech. It's startling, the simplicity. And yet the complexity of uh, Lee Brown's proposition, and I think eventually oh, it'll take hundreds of years before this will be in general use and uh, will be fully understood by the public. At that point, I would suspect that television will gradually wither and die, be replaced by, oh, growing ferns. Uh, people will take up uh, things like knitting and uh, walking around and looking at the sky. God knows where it'll lead. 
it lead to the quiet and uh, unlamented uh, uh, withering away at the movies. Paul Newman will get a job at the Shell Station. And, uh, you know, life will settle down to a semblance of reality. But that's going to take a long time. We have not yet peaked out uh, in our madness for showbiz, our madness for fantasy and unreality. We're certainly far from the peak. And so the next time you hear some incomprehensible statement made by somebody being interviewed on TV who's running for governor, just say, because it is a speech. That's why he said it. Because it is a movie. Because it is a newscast. These things have lives of their own. And so we've begun the investigation of Lee Brown's proposition. And this is a long three-semester study.